Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here's Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, everybody, to the Second Stage. I'm here with Jeff Cadlick, my partner, and we are uh, we are uh, we got some we got some big stuff happening today, Jeff. We got some big announcements. We got some uh, wonderful people we're going to talk to. Some 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 repeats. Some kind of uh, best of. 2016. Best I can this is 16, isn't it, Jeff? 2016. We're almost, it is. Almost there. It is. Way to catch up. <laughs> okay. About, good. Uh, two and a half good. weeks left. Good. Time flies when you're having fun, though, right, Brendan? You know, sometimes I just got to catch myself and say, what year should I put down? Because sometimes it just, you know, doesn't really matter. But, but then today it does. Honestly, we uh, we uh, um, are kind of coming to the end of the 2016 season and um uh and are going to have uh, three uh, of our uh, kind of our most popular guests on today and then we're going to have another kind of similar uh, episode next week right oh we are and it's going to be kind of a, a a a little bit of a new new format for this show as uh, brendan mentioned we've got three popular guests back on our show we've got blake squires uh, back on our show, he's a product entrepreneur who's founded several product companies, and he's navigated three successful exits since 1999. Uh, he co-founded uh, EverStream, Findaway, and Movable, uh, and he's also founded Hatch, that invests in and helps entrepreneurs maximize their ideas. Uh, uh, we also are bringing back Greg Crabtree. He's a speaker, author, and entrepreneur and financial expert. Uh, Greg has used his entrepreneurial skills to develop Crabtree, Roe, and Burger, which is a CPA firm focused on so- solely on the needs of entrepreneurs. And uh, he has, uh, he's been a very, very popular de- uh, guest, and he has his... Um, uh, uh, simple numbers, profit tool, the seven key numbers that he's going to remind us of. And then finally, last but not least, is Anise Cavanaugh. She's the creator of IEP Method, which is the Intentional Energetic Presence. As uh, She's also an advisor and uh, partner to leaders and organizations primarily in the design, service, and innovation spaces. Uh, Anise built the IEP method to help people unlock even greater leadership potential, collaborate more inspiringly, and create more openly. Uh, and uh, uh, she's been very, very popular guest. So we're excited to have all three of them on the show. Uh, but Brennan, you and I have a little recap to do for yeah. 2016 here. Uh, let's start yeah. with those brownies. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's uh, they're going to have a parade, I guess, if they go in 16. That'll be exciting for everybody. You know, it's <laughs> kind of the opposite, but. Uh, yeah, that'll. I mean, I don't saw that on uh, Twitter today. That's uh, that's going to be the big thing. It's got to have a you got to have a parade if you can go undefeated or only defeated. So that's exciting. But yep. you're, uh, yeah, no, it's. I know you're the Pittsburgh guy. You're a uh, your man, Le'Veon Bell had a day yesterday. So, uh, but anyways, it was. Uh, I only he know did. that because he was he was on my son Britt's uh, fantasy football team, and apparently the second highest point total in uh, NFL history. So yeah, Britt did well. Britt made some yeah. money. Sounds yeah. like. Sounds always like. Off of me. Always off of me. So hey, you know what? About, I, 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 I have to. Quick, you know, quickly, uh, the, you know, the guests we have are obviously, you know, you got you got Blake, the you know, the energetic uh, entrepreneur, and you got Greg Crabtree, the guy that kind of brings you down to reality and kind of beats you up and says, "Hey, man, this, these are some facts. These are things you got to focus on to be a successful business." And we know, you know, from history that those things are things that we that uh, that are true, right? And 
Then we got Anissa. Is uh, she's also kind of uh, you know lets you know that you just you know you got to you got to be very intentional. You got to know what you're doing. You got to create a plan. You got to be you know you got to you got to you got to you know be aware of what uh, you know the vibe you're sending off. And I know that because she always tells me that, that I'm sending off the wrong the wrong vibe. Is uh, as you got anybody that saw the show before remembers that. So uh, it's a big show. I'm excited. I don't know about you. I am, and and as we've talked about many, many times in this show, that uh, the thing that gets us most excited is our ability to learn from our guests. And you know, this show has been a great platform for Brendan and I to meet a lot of great speakers, a lot of great authors, a lot of got great thought leaders. Uh, three of whom are on this show, but we've had a uh, hundred shows, I think, a hundred live shows. And Barbara, we've had, Barbara wouldn't tell us the answer. She said it was almost a hundred. So you and yeah. I were like, yeah, that well, could be well, like ninety nine. Well, we're going yeah, to round up. We're going to yeah, round absolutely. up. And we're going to say it's a hundred yeah, shows. Yeah, we're working towards a bigger number. Yeah, and uh, I think almost a couple hundred thousand uh, downloads. Yeah. So uh, rounding up a little bit there, but I feel good about it. I'll be able to look myself in the mirror. But regardless, we think that, you know, the show has had its intended effects, which is uh, reaching out and creating this exchange, this collaboration amongst entrepreneurs, uh, helping other entrepreneurs and and, uh, trying to create a a community of people. people really looking for best practices to help their businesses grow, which it really falls in line with evolution's mission. Uh, and as, as I had said, you know, we have learned a great deal uh, from our guests along the way. And Jeff, I heard a rumor we were thinking about changing up the format a little bit. I heard, I heard a rumor we were going to get a little more short, sweet, you know, kind of right, right into the, you know, punch people out, you know, just kind of hit them with it. We are. Something. We're going to okay. basically, we're, the second stage is going to continue. Uh, it's going to continue on uh, really self-published. And uh, Barbara Hernandez, our wonderful chief branding officer, is taking us in a new direction with our platform. And you'll be able to continue to get all the content that you've grown to love at the second stage uh, directly from our website. You can still, for a time, find it on uh, Voice America, voiceofamerica.com. Uh, but uh, going forward, uh, all of our new content will be uh, generally in a shorter format, more direct, uh, continue to have direct uh, uh, guests most of the time, but also may have some very short uh, uh, webinars or presentations, even some video uh, really produced here within our office to really, again, about best practices to help small business owners and, uh, you know, most of our guests have realized that uh, we've got a face for radio. But uh, as I said, there may be some video in there and get Brendan out there under the lights. Have him uh, D- dancing away, baby. Dancing <laughs> away. <laughs> well, that's very entrepreneurial, though, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It, it, Jeff, do you think that it's that Barbara has decided that we don't have the ability to stay focused for 60 minutes? Or do you think that she has or is it just we're moving or progressing? Which one is it, you think? I think she's realizing this show mostly is dependent upon her and that she's getting exhausted (laughs) in this format (laughs) and she's trying to put it in in, in a format that that she'll survive. I like that. You know what though? She's brilliant. She's she actually is brilliant. You know, Jeff, it's it's. I was kind of as we were getting ready for the show, I was kind of reflecting on the things that uh, the recurring themes, the 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 the, the you know, kind of at the end of every show, you go, wow, you know, the, you know, what's uh, what is it that um, uh, you know that that we learned here and. You know, I, things I wrote down is you know process. It's uh, you know that if you can, 
create a process, if you can make things predictable, if you can, you know, helps you explain things to your, to your uh, employees, to your suppliers, to your customers, to the community. And it's just, you know, and it kind of gives that feeling of, uh, you know, of, uh, that you're going to deliver. Um, we frequently talk about peer groups and uh, how, you know, how wonderful the EOs and YPOs and Vistages and uh, in any other, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, peer groups are, are, are wonderful. Um, we, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about cash flow, you know, that, the, you know, that effectively cash flow is what kind of lets you keep growing, lets you stay in business. And it really is one of those kind of uh, core, you know, it's, it's, it's a table stake. It's something if you don't have cash flow, it's, uh, you know, you're going to have to figure out something eventually. Um, and, uh, you know, I can go on forever, Jeff. I don't know whether, you know, you can feel, you know, I, I, uh, I realize I probably only have like, you know, two more hours to keep talking about my, uh, my thoughts. Um, but, uh, it's, it's really been a, really been a great, uh, hundred episodes or so. Yeah, it, it it definitely has. I think you've encapsulated a lot of 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 what we've you know. Uh, uh, I I was kind of uh, writing, taking notes as you were talking, and I don't know that you mentioned core values. I think earlier on oh, in our one, uh, like our uh, uh, shows, uh, we were really realizing that core values was was critical in creating a foundation to attract, measure, uh, and reward employees and and make them happier employees. And then also, no, and, and really, and it, it helps you decide how you know. I, I agree, Jeff. I, I can't even write that down quickly. Dang, I'm gonna I'm gonna bang my head against the table. It'll be all okay. Uh, no, literally. I mean, the core values let you know how, how to make decisions. When you know, kind of, you know, it it, it it shortens time. It lets you pick, you know, the right people, keep the right people, you know, and in uh, right customers, right suppliers. It's my God. It's uh, it uh, it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful thing if you can pull it off. Yeah, it, it it is. Uh but you know that there's been uh you know there's been some some headwinds for entrepreneurs here over the past uh you know few years and and uh not because of us some, Jeff, not, not because of us. Not cause, uh, but there's been a lot of conversations around that. I think that uh you know one thing that we've tackled a couple times only because there was a lot of feedback about it was the Affordable Care Act. And, uh, you know, that played a big role in this recent election. And, and what's been interesting is that there has been some positives from it. I think there's also been some negatives. And I think, frankly, uh, a lot of the headwinds had to do with just a lack of understanding, uh, you know, of, by the entrepreneurial community. And uh, now that they have their hands wrapped around it, I think that uh, some people are learning to deal with it. And uh, other others, uh, you know, are still trying to figure out how to avoid it. <laughs> uh, but you know, we're going to take a quick break because uh, we now have Blake on the line, and uh, we're excited to, to. And we know you want to hear from our guests as much as we do. So we're going to take a quick break here in the second stage, and then we come back. We're going to have Blake Squires on the line. Thanks for tuning into the second stage. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. 
Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the second stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I've got my partner, Brendan Anderson, here. And uh, one of our rock star guests, Blake Squires, is also on the line. Hey, Blake. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me today. Glad to have, to have you. As, as just a quick reminder to everybody, you can follow Blake at Blake Squires on Twitter. Uh, and just as a reminder, he's a product entrepreneur who founded several product companies. He has navigated three successful exits since 1999. He's co-founded Everstream Findaway and Movable, and he's also founded Hatch, which is his latest venture that invests in and helps entrepreneurs maximize their ideas. And we're excited to hear about all of that, of course. Uh, Blake, you know, part of the reason you're back on this show is uh, the show that we did probably a couple years ago around the entrepreneurial mindset has, if it's not number one, it's number two in terms of the, the number of downloads. And uh, so we wanted to really just kind of recap, you, you know, really all of your your thoughts your framework, your decision-making around the, the very earliest stages of, uh, of the, the startup process. Yeah, no, no, great. Uh, in, in, in about uh, 15 or, or less minutes, uh, recap, what I think we did was... Uh, <laughs> you can do just talk really fast. Just talk really fast. I'll, really I'll fast. give you the cliff notes, uh, and then you can download the previous show, right, to get the full version. That's exactly but, right. Uh, uh, so, you know, I'm, uh, as you said, an entrepreneur started uh, a host of companies, and just through these companies and being surrounded with other entrepreneurs, kind of got to the sense of uh, what I call the mindset. And uh, it, it's what does it take, right? And and this isn't just starting something. It's also growing something. So uh, I've, I coach CEOs uh, on top of uh, four kids and all of the businesses, and, and I see this uh, inside larger companies as well. But uh, four things uh, that I, I call the mindset. Number one, you have to believe um, you know, if you're starting or growing something, it really is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Uh, and so with belief, obviously, comes passion. Um, so that's mindset number one, and it's number one for a reason. Um, interesting story, uh, company Movable uh, founded it in 2011, uh, hired a great team, uh, scaling the business, and candidly, I hit a point where I just wasn't believing. Um, and so uh, I was able to empower uh, the team that was there and our board, and we found uh, an exit for the company. Uh, but because I wasn't believing as the leader, uh, I stepped away. I stepped away from that business. So uh, just the importance of believing and having passion in, in what you're starting or growing. Uh, the second thing is, is being prepared. 
um, you know, not to the point of research uh, analysis paralysis, but uh, when I talk about being prepared, I talk about getting out. Uh, I always say great things happen on the road um, because you're actually taking yourself out of, of your element. You're out of, out of a pattern, and you're, you're learning. You're, you're trying to understand directly in the market what's happening uh, real time. And so what you don't know, you better get out and learn. Um, so be prepared. And, of course, know the competition, the market size, all the other good stuff. Uh, third, third mindset is have a great deal of luck. Um, I was fortunate uh, in I've got a, a product that, that I'm, I'm starting up uh, called Stubble and Shadow. Um, it's a razor product. I've primarily been a tech entrepreneur, but you know, as luck would have it, this idea uh, came, came to me uh, actually from a friend in Denmark who sent me a link to a website, and I thought it was the idea for this idea, but it turns out it wasn't. And as I started to investigate the possibility of this idea for a razor, a manual way to maintain the five o'clock shadow or that stubble look, uh, I started realizing that this product doesn't exist. And as I engaged patent attorneys, they said this product doesn't exist. So a great deal of luck finding the product, but then uh, another piece of luck, uh, a guy by the name of John Osher, who developed the spin brush, uh, sold to Procter & Gamble, just so happened to see this idea on Kickstarter. Uh, John and I had met uh, about 10 years ago. I tried to bring him into a business, and when he saw the idea, he saw my face, and he immediately called me up, and he said, Blake, I think this is a great idea. So John is now my partner uh, inside uh, Shadow and Stubble. So mindset number three uh, is have a great deal of luck. You know, you have to be open uh, to looking at when the stars are aligning and, and really, um, you know, embrace it. Uh, and then lastly, the mindset, uh, just do. Um, doesn't need much more description. Uh, get out there uh, and make stuff happen. Hey, Blake, no, that's great. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jeff. I, 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 uh, um, I, I often I have a question for you. Do you often find that the harder you work, the, uh, the luckier you get? The more, the more you're out there, yeah, yeah, and the more you're taking yourself out of your element, um, absolutely. Um, you know, luck, luck's kind of hard to find just uh, stuck in a closet or something, so uh, for sure. And, and the more you're out there, the more you're doing, clearly the more people you're meeting, the more ideas that you're hearing about, uh, and more opportunities start to arise, for sure. Maybe talk about uh, you know obviously you, you mentioned Kickstarter and I and I and we obviously have the privilege of talking to you before this so there's a story behind uh, additional things that can happen happen when you kind of take a risk like that and it may not just be cash. Yeah, so uh, Kickstarter um, specifically this idea for Stubble. Um, you know, wasn't really looking at it, you know, Kickstarter being this crowdfunding, this place where you can put out a product and, and people can commit to it to help bring it to life. Um, I, I looked at the platform of Kickstarter as a means to really understand if people would be interested in the product um, and then start to try to understand some of the brand and actual product language. Uh, so my approach to Kickstarter wasn't necessarily about the funding. Of course, the funding helps. Um, but it was really to test the concept uh, and understand more about the brand and the product itself. Uh, so we did a Kickstarter uh, with Stubble, uh, this product. Um, it kicked off 
uh, and it, it ended about two and a half weeks ago, and, and we hit our goal of $12,500 in, in funding. Um, and again, that process wasn't necessarily for the funding itself. Um, I think as we've covered uh, historically, um, you know, that my previous companies, I, I've raised uh, pretty significant amounts of capital around. Uh, the first one ever stream was $14 million and Find a way raised eleven million, and with movable, uh, we raised uh, right around four million. And uh, part of the, the the Kickstarter theme, and just in general, you know, I started asking myself, uh, is is there a way to bootstrap? Um, and and can can I use my own capital and minimal capital, potentially with others? But can we really bring an idea? Uh, to a point where the only capital that comes in is really to scale uh, and to grow the business. And, and so that's my uh, n- newer thesis on how to approach business. Um, not go raise a huge slug of money up front, raise enough to get the idea to a place uh, to, to then figure out how to scale it. Um, so, so that's my, I don't know if it's necessarily bootstrapping, um, but it's probably pretty close. Do you, is it because you think that the the money kind of gets in the way of the the, the process there? Because there's you, now that you have a fiduciary responsibility to outside people's money, that it takes you away from the the creative process. Well, you know, Jeff, that that's a good uh, a, a good a good question. Um, you know, raising capital is is a process, and it takes a lot of time and attention, and um, it it does. Um, um, it does. It can take away. Um, now, of course, having the capital means you can resource um, and hire more people. Um, so I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but as a leader um, and it's some somebody at the center of the the idea, at least early on, um, it absolutely raising capital is a, is a full time job raising it, and then once you have it, uh, responsibility to shareholders and the board. Um, but again, the, the trade off is. Then you have capital that you can hire the right talent uh, to help, you know, kind of push through. And in creative enterprises, you know, talent uh, is key. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm okay on the creative side, but there's certainly better people, you know, throughout that whole process that that need to be in the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, since Movable, you have uh, really moved off. Uh, uh, you, you obviously talked about Stubble and Shadow, but but really Hatch was was that the f- first really kind of segue into these other opportunities where you were looking to coach and collaborate with other entrepreneurs. Yeah, so Hatch was uh, an entity that um, myself and uh, a partner at uh, Business Findaway and then a board member and investor uh, at Movable, uh, a guy by the name of Christopher Celeste, uh, we started, uh, he, he started it in 2008, uh, and then when I exited Findaway at the end of 2010, kind of took the, the uh, jumped in as well, and, and Hatch stands for Help at the Critical Hour. Um, we, we, he and I, we, we have done deals together, um, but he's Hatch Partners, I'm Hatch Services. We actually have two different entities around it. Um, and it's really this platform, um, Help at the Critical Hour, where today, yes, I, I coach uh, CEOs on, on starting and growing businesses. Uh, Hatch has been a vehicle to do some investing, um, really surrounding entrepreneurs um, and investing that way. Um, and really, I think the, the main thing um, 
is, you know, I've always had an appetite. I've always had curiosity. Um, and um, I've always gone out and really listened to the market. And when you start hanging out with other entrepreneurs, you see a whole host of ideas. Um, so, you know, hat, Hatch is an entity, but really I think it's an attitude or a belief that uh, the more you get out there, uh, the more ideas that, that you can come across and see. Is there a, uh, that's, that's a great answer, is there a common theme that you're seeing from entrepreneurs in terms of where they're struggling, or, or is it just different for every, every entrepreneur? It's different for every entrepreneur, but um, the, the, um, there's always commonality, right? Um, you know, resources, people is, you know, paramount to growth, uh, and clearly leaders, founders, entrepreneurs struggle with, um, A, finding and aligning to the right talent, being able to figure out the ways to bring that talent or align that talent, you know, it could be capital, could be compensation plans, could be, um, you know, equity. Uh, in, a, in a lot of cases, it's how do you really define the values to ensure that alignment. Um, so there's a, there's a talent alignment piece that I often come across. Um, there's a uh, confidence piece, right? Sometimes being a leader is lonely. Um, sometimes being a leader, you're not quite sure, and even though you can surround yourself with a great team, it's just nice to have another sounding board. Um, obviously, capital is, is, is always, you know, something that um, entrepreneurs um, spend a lot of time thinking about or, or trying to get. Um, and then when you get into the product or the service, you know, there's strategic questions. Um, how do you approach planning? Um, you know, how do you keep things simple and develop the right milestones and then build the right metrics to ensure that you're moving the ball forward? So it's different for every entrepreneur, but there certainly are um, themes that I see. Um, and some go back to the mindset, believe, be prepared, have a great deal of luck, just do. Um, some are more tactical, um, but there's certainly themes out there. No, no, those are great. I was writing those down, and they they make a ton of sense to me. Um, so I got one last question for you, um, and that is really around what you see uh, for entrepreneurship in 2017. Yeah, well, you know, it's um, starting something, um, really believing in what you're starting. Um, you know, I think in in 2017 we'll have um, uh, hopefully. Um, Entrepreneurship will be even more um, uh, promoted. Um, I think, you know, at, at times it, it's a word that's thrown around and people maybe don't really understand or, you know, they, they think they have all of the elements. But, you know, I, I hope that entrepreneurship, uh, clearly you've seen a lot of universities adopt different programs, and I think that's good. Um, and, and I think people, you know, really want to be their own um, boss and that they have these ideas for businesses and they want to go out and start. And, and hopefully 2017 will, will be a climate where people actually take that leap uh, and, and demonstrate and, and be entrepreneurs. That's great, uh, Blake. I really appreciate it. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you outside of at Blake Squires on Twitter, how would they go about doing that? Uh, LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn slash Blake Squires. I think it's LinkedIn in slash Blake Squires, but you can find me on LinkedIn. 
uh, name is, you know, it's not John Doe, so it's, it should pop up there. <laughs> and you, you can see Hatch and some of my other entities as well. That's great. That's great. Well, uh, uh, I would encourage people to reach out to Blake. He is uh, a wealth of uh, of information, and and he has been a a top seller here, a top downloaded expert here on on the second stage. Uh, I want to take a quick second to uh, thank our sponsor, RSM, uh, formerly Milgladry, the leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. Uh, we've got our next guest, Greg Crabtree, coming up. So please uh, stay on the line. And we want to thank Blake Squires for being on the show one more time. Thanks a lot, Blake. Thanks, hey, Blake. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadillac, and I've got my partner, Brendan Anderson, here as well. And we've got our second guest of the show, Greg Crabtree, on the line as well. Hello, Greg. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, Greg is a speaker, author, entrepreneur, and financial expert. Uh, Greg has used his entrepreneurial skills to develop Crabtree, Rowe, and Berger, a CPA firm focused solely on the needs of entrepreneurs helping them build the economic engine of their businesses. He's also the author of one of our favorite books, and the one that we give away probably more than any other book, called Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits. Uh, Greg can be found on Twitter, at Greg Crabtree CPA. Uh, and you can also find him on the uh, on the web at simplenumbers.me. So, Greg... Um, you're known for many wonderful, wonderful things that help out entrepreneurs, but uh, one of the, the main things is uh, the, 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 the seven simple numbers, and we thought we would just start with just letting you remind our listeners of what those are. Yeah, you know, really when it comes down to it, you know, you, you can have a lot of fancy dashboards and you can do, um, you know, a lot of numbers. And I always like to challenge folks. I said, listen, you know, it really comes down to, you know, what are the numbers that really matter? And um, I, I get this question a lot because we, we, we have clients all over the U.S. and Canada and 
and uh, it seems like of late I'm on calls with bankers and and other folks trying to say, well, how is it that a company in Houston works with a company in Alabama, and how is it that a company in California works with a company in Alabama? And I said, well, it really comes down to you know creating this philosophy of you know studying data and saying you know what what does it really say? And so to, of late, I've actually been kind of um, using this concept of think of ourselves, we're really more behavioral economists than we are accountants. Because at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is produce compelling data to change behavior. I mean, that's really, you know, if I don't accomplish that with a client engagement or with a book that I write or articles that we write or information that we put out in content, I mean, that's our ultimate goal. Because I think too long we've let data just sit there and just either be stifling or non-existent or confusing at best. And, And so... When you boil it down, I mean, obviously we all have to start with revenue, but revenue is the slipperiest snake on the P&L. But you do have to start there mathematically. But the first, the second number that we come to that is most important to us is then is gross margin. And and so Vern Harnish and I had a great discussion in my original book. I call it gross profit. But in all of our work since then and continuing on, Vern had a great point to me of, hey, let's call it gross margin because margin is really a better representative term of a subset of something. And, and so we redefine gross margin in the accounting uh, terminology to where it's just revenue minus directly associated cost that do not include labor. And so what's interesting in today's world of, of business models is there's more and more what we would call pass-through models. Uh, we've, got, we've got two clients that have over $100 million in revenue, yet one of them has 15% gross margin, the other one has 18%. Well, the only way that you can have a $100 million business making that level of gross margin is you essentially understand that you know, if you've got 100 million revenue, 15% gross margin, you're not a $100 million business. You're really a $15 million inventory management business of whatever product that you're, you're managing as a distributor. And, and so it starts to clarify the understanding of why it is and, and how the cash flow works. The only way that you can do $15 million of gross margin on $100 million of revenue is you have to get paid at, on average at exactly the same time as you have to pay your vendors. It may not be case by case, but if you take it in bulk and in total, that's the only way it's going to work. So once you get to gross margin, then we go to our next critical number, which we call direct labor. Or really, we measure it versus what we call direct labor efficiency ratio, or LER, and that's where we take gross margin per direct labor dollar. And and this was when I did my original data research of our client data. I mean, this was the big aha moment of understanding that we never, ever, ever mix labor with something that's not labor. And so you look at good labor as a multiplier, bad labor as a boat anchor. And and so this this really this idea of if I I don't care what I pay good labor in terms of the more a person produces, I'm willing to pay them more. I just need the right multiplier output of what I'm paying that person. And so you know, if a person, if I'm trying to get a three LER, I'm just as happy paying somebody fifty thousand that produces me one hundred and fifty thousand of gross margin, as I am paying somebody seventy-five thousand that produces me three times that. You know, so I'm okay with that, and and so it really creates what Adam Grant in Give and Take calls equitability. You know, it, it's when you really think about it. I mean, this shocks some people. I say, you know, really, for to treat employees equally is a disservice. Because I'm I'm not being fair to those who are really the high end producers, 
And so, you know, the way Grant talks about it, you know, the bottom half of the labor force wants equality because they can or won't compete, and the top half of the labor force wants equitability because they do want to compete but be recognized for it. So that's the underlying concept of the business engine. Gross margin minus direct labor is then a, a, what we think is the critical number in a business is contribution margin. So once you get to that, that's the, the output of the business engine. We then use contribution margin to be the top-line numerator for management labor accountability. So we want, manage, we want more contribution margin per management labor dollar, so we call that the management labor efficiency ratio. And so what's really been powerful is whereas we see direct labor efficiency multipliers all across the board relative to industry, pay type, management style, and those things, our data actually says that you know, really, the management labor efficiency ratio needs to be between a three and a four in almost every business we look at. And there, there's always going to be some outliers, but I'm amazed at the consistency of being able to take that number as a kernel of truth and really do a what we call a bottom-up projection of, hey, if you're going to pay a million dollars in management labor, you better produce a minimum $3 million of contribution margin. So tell me how you're going to do that and what requisite revenue and direct labor you need to get that done. And it, it's, it's amazing to see the magic of the moment of a, a CEO or a CFO or a management team realize that they now have a tangible number that they've got to go hit with the team that they have on the field. Uh, and then once you get past uh, management labor efficiency ratio, then obviously net income. So we believe firmly in that 5% is life support as a percentage of revenue, 10% is a good business, 15% is a great business. Anything above 15%, take it while you can get it because the market will compete you back. But the other thing we've learned is if you're below 40% gross margin, as a as a gross margin business, you need to use gross margin as your true top line and then take those same percentages and measure profit as a percentage of gross margin, but just move them up 5%. So it's 10, 15, and 20 because you need the extra 5% of profit target as a percentage of gross margin to turn over all the activity at the top line. And because there are those variations and those hiccup moments that you just need a little extra room in that process. But, you know, sitting on that data, it's really made a huge difference. The last critical number that we talk about is core capital target. And so once you're profitable, what does a healthy business look like from a capitalization standpoint? And so with all due respect to people who want to look at current ratios and debt coverage ratios and all that kind of stuff, guess what? It's really simpler than that. All you need to do is have two months of operating expenses in cash, including direct labor, essentially everything that you don't get terms on, have two months of that in cash and nothing drawn on a line of credit, and I guarantee you'll never miss a loan covenant ratio the rest of your business life because none of the other ratios matter if you accomplish that objective. And and so that really is kind of how you get to those numbers. Hey, Greg, why is it that, you know, there's, you, you know, you've written a wonderful book that explains this, and there's, you know, we, you know, we're, we're both in EO, and you know, we've spent lots of time talking about, you know, is, is, you know, from since been in for 20 years or so. Why is it that so many of the businesses, and and you know, and and, and I, and my gut tells me that out of the businesses that we talk to that are kind of below five million, almost none of them are doing what you're talking about. Why is that? Well, I mean, I honestly believe it starts with they don't have, one, the mindset of somebody giving them the roadmap. And so, you know, I am working on a new book project 
uh, that's in, in concert with Vern Harnish to take this, this cash section of scaling up. And I'm working with Vern. Actually, I'm about to do a presentation that will be filmed for this that's called Scaling Up Cash. And so we take the eight decision questions that Vern uses in building a whole framework of actionable kind of workbook-type activities to really take a look at the business and break it down. And, and it really is a good framework of looking at it, whereas I elevated the idea in my original book of, hey, here's the basic things that people are missing of, you know, making data just worthless just to file a tax return or something. But let's make it actionable. Let's have the process to go with it. Once you have the thinking, then it comes down to do you have the will to really approach it. And and it's almost even simpler than that because I, I was having dinner, you know, with a client of mine, and, and I, it just – this statement kind of popped out of my mouth without much thinking about it, but it really has resonated with me since of there's really only three things you need to do to be successful in business. I mean, you, you just have to figure out what the market needs. Then you got to find out how to do it profitably. And then you got to tell everybody about it. <laughs> and so you really think about it. Everything falls into one of those three buckets. And the vast majority of entrepreneurs don't do a really good job of determining market need that's really what has totally exploded our position in the marketplace for what we do is because, I mean, my, my EO forum taught me what entrepreneurs need. I wasn't trying to sell them what accounts do. And that, that's, I mean, that's just a mind-changing, you know, game-changer, you know, uh, way of looking at, at life and business. Getting, finding out how to do it profitably, you know, I think because we sit on a lot of data that's really valuable, just getting to look at data and say, I'm not going to go with a preconceived idea. I'm just going to let it talk to me. And figuring out our, using our simple number structure to compare different businesses in different industries and yet treat them all the same, I mean, it just started singing. And then the last piece is still the black art is how do you tell everybody about it and not go out of business doing it? You know, and and I, I wish there was a little more of a... Uh, absolute structure of that, but every business has different dynamics in terms of the marketing aspect of things. But um, but it can be done, and there's people that are successful at it. it you know, it's interesting. I listened to you talking. The first thing you said, you know, the, the, the will to do it kind of resonated because I think the thing that Jeff and I and the people at Evolution run into is that. You know, you have a, an entrepreneur, and they've they've got their business going, and they and they they're making money, and sometimes compelling money. You know, it could be a million, two million dollars a year of net profit, and it's just, you know, they're like, why do I need those things? And so maybe it's just the lack of will, or, but it's, yeah. it it literally is my probably my my by far my biggest aha as we look at. You know, we're blessed; we get to talk to kind of fifteen to twenty entrepreneurs a, a week as a group, and. Mm-hmm. Um, Literally, uh, very few of them can communicate the position, the financial position of their company. It just it, it continues yeah. to baffle me. So, well, and but I do believe that my profession is is largely at fault with that because we sell entrepreneurs what accountants do rather than do what accountants need. And so, um, you know, we're we're changing that one client at a time. But um, you know, but I I, I think that. I, I would challenge the accounting world, you know, to, to be a little more aggressive in terms of figuring out, you know, the, the different aspects rather than, you know, filling out, you know, financial information. I mean, obviously, you've got to file the compliance stuff of tax returns, produce financial statements. But if you really think about this aspect of, of behavioral economics, how, you know, we're not taught that in school. I mean, I was taught that markets are rational and customers are rational in, in, in economics in college, and, and neither one of those statements are even remotely true. 
you know, but if you really study behavioral economics, you start to look at the world in a different way, and you start to say, there, if whatever way it takes to get an idea across, to get a person to do the most productive thing and feel connected to, to mission and purpose and values and all those things, all of a sudden, those are the companies that really, you know, you know, push to the forefront. You know, I believe, and and so, but it, it's it's taking a re-education in terms of how people look at data, and and use it not as a whipping post, but as as a as a way to really show truth, and and I think people gravitate to that. I agree. <laughs> that's that's yeah. great. So, Greg, uh, in our closing minute or so here, uh, how are you feeling about the state of entrepreneurship here in the United States, and and what are you thinking about uh, 2017? Well, I mean, I, I I think we are in the hottest economy I've seen in my life because I, I wrote a blog a couple of weeks ago called "The Age of the Entrepreneur," and uh, and in that I said, you know, guess what? We haven't seen a significant IPO in the last six seven years, and I believe that we've hit a crossover point that the privately held businesses are driving the economy and no longer are we seeing the publicly held businesses drive us. We don't need the public companies for liquidity. There's so much cash in the market that if, you know, we, we had a client last year that sold for sixty million and he had he got an eleven multiple of earnings in a fairly ordinary business and he had the same offer from public companies as he had from the private equity groups. And and so people are starting to understand that in the private world, you can run a highly profitable business, and it's still a good idea to keep it. Because what we've really uncovered here uh, in the in the last year is really now completing the piece of not only is it about being profitable, it is about understanding the kernel of capitalization to where what is the required return on investment of, of private money put into a privately held business, and what should I be aiming for as a profit number off of that capital deployed and build a model that supports that. And just to put it out there, I mean, what we see is anybody who follows our capitalization guidelines for core capital at a 10% profit, the minimum return on equity we see year over year is 50%. And most people are 75 to 100. Why would you ever put your money anywhere else until you've, ex- you've used every dime that that business could do to penetrate their market position if you're getting a 50 to 100% rate of return. I mean, where, where else would you do that? I have no idea, but sign me up. I, you know, <laughs> now I can, I can, I can juice up a really high percentage return if I leverage the business, but I've introduced risk and, and, and variability. I'm talking about pure capitalization. And this is why private equity has figured out that they want to own privately held businesses that they run for profit and distribution capacity, not to sell. Because yeah. here, the, the client that sold for $60 million, they were doing $5,250,000 a year in profit, and they got an offer for $40 million. That's over a seven multiple of earnings. And their capital advisors were saying, great deal, let's take it. And I said, I told them, this is not enough. So I said, here's the math. Take sixty million after tax is gonna I mean take forty million after tax is gonna clear thirty million because it's capital gain. I said, here's the essential question if you're thinking about selling your business. Take the after tax money of thirty million. Where can you go reinvest thirty million and make five million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year that's legal? <laughs> and the answer is nowhere. Yeah. Why yeah. would you sell? And so he him hard yeah. and, and you know, and I said, listen, yeah, it's your decision. You do whatever you want. A week later, he comes back and he says, well, I got him up to $60 million. 
And this, okay, well, that's an eleven multiple of earnings. So I think we can we can we can do pretty good on finding a replacement rate of return. And and that's the power of understanding. I was at a conference this past week and gave that same story to an entrepreneur that was there that was thinking about selling his business. And as soon as he heard that, he decided he's not selling, which is the right decision unless you think that industry is going down for some reason. But that's the part that we don't celebrate enough about the privately held business marketplace. But you can only do it when your data speaks truth. You're sticking to doing it the right way. And, and you're really putting the numbers to where you, you isolate that difference between I get paid a salary for what I do and return on what I own. And let's go really work on that return on what I own piece. That sounds like pillar one, Brennan, doesn't it? It does. But he says it so much better than we do, Jeff. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Well, uh, Greg, you've been outstanding. Be singing in the choir because that's really what we need. Well, we appreciate being on the show. You can uh, find Greg Crabtree on Twitter at Greg Crabtree CPA and also on the web at simplenumbers.me. Greg, you've been a wonderful guest. We really appreciate it. You are, are easy to understand and, and making a lot of sense to Brendan and I for sure and, and certainly our audience because you're one of our most popular guests. Uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we're going to be back with our next guest, Anise Cavanaugh. So don't go away. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick. i got my uh, partner, Brendan Anderson, here. And we've got our wonderful guest, last but not least, Anise Cavanaugh, the creator of the Intentional Energetic Presence. Uh, she's an advisor and a thinking partner to leaders and organizations primarily in the design, service, and innovation spaces. And uh, she is also the author of a book called The Contagious Culture. 
So uh, we are uh, glad to have you on the show. And Anise, I don't know if you know this, you're on the show because you're one of our most downloaded guests we have on the second stage. Oh, I did not love. I did not know that, but I love that. Thank you. Hi, guys. Hi, Brandon. Great to great to have you on. And and maybe um, maybe talk briefly. And I apologize. Uh, we we got a little little uh, drawn on at the at the last one, but it was uh, good stuff. Maybe talk about yeah. talk about the your clients. Uh, you know, and your, kind of how you look at closing out 2016, and how you you know the people that have read the book. Um, you talk about uh, IEP, the um, intentional energetic presence, and uh, you know people that go back and listen to our our show. They can tell you how you beat me up on that. But uh, maybe talk about the. <laughs> Closing 16 and rolling out 17. Yeah, well, first of all, you guys, both of you, it's so great to be back with you. Um, so I, you know, I heard Greg, and I, I think it was well worth going over on time with him because I think what he was speaking to was really important in terms of being really intentional and thinking about how you're moving into the next year. What I would add to that is that, so when I work with people, we're doing a lot of work around cultural change, leadership, basically how do you create a contagious culture that's healthy, feels good, and really sets people up to do their best work possible. And so this last part of the year, this is one of my favorite times of the year, because I look at December as an opportunity to kind of close out 2016 and really look back in terms of, you know, how do we show up? What were the results that we created? Um, and then to look into 2017 in terms of how do we need to show up now to create the results we want to create? And I know that a lot of people, when they're doing, you know, most people get started earlier in the year to do their closeout process, but... When they're moving into 2017 or to the next year, I always ask them to not just look at their strategic business plans and their revenue goals and all that good stuff, which is super, super important, obviously, but also to look at what is it in terms of the culture they want to create, how do they want to show up as a leader, not only in their business, but in their life, you know, what is the impact they want to be creating, and I ask them to really look at the end of the year and almost write like a love letter to it, just in terms of what it gave them. Um, what, how they grew as a leader, how, you know, who else they helped be successful, um, where did they fall down as a leader, you know, where did they fall down in culture that they would like to do differently. And as they close out the current year that they're in, they'll start to find themes that they're going to want to shift moving into 2017. So, you know, right now we're going through this with all of our clients. I literally, I send them a list of questions, and I can, we can put this up on a blog or make this available for you guys. But I'll send them a list of questions, closing out, and I call it completing and thanking 2016. And, and then I have them, once they've done that, I have them actually go into kicking off and welcoming in 2017. And so for your listeners, I think it's worth thinking about as you guys move into this next year with whatever your business is or however you're setting yourselves up, what is it that you're committed to creating? You know, who are you committed to becoming in terms of your leadership presence, you know, how you show up, how you make people feel, you know, who, who is your main, you know, I think about it in the book, we talk about your posse, you know, who you hang out with, the, the core relationships, you know, who are the core relationships that you're going to want to nurture this next year to really create the impact you want to create? How do you want to feel? You know, what's your theme this year? I mean, we could go on and on, but that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, a very big nutshell, that's kind of the closing out process. It's honoring and thanking the current year and then really intending into the next year. I like that. How do you, I mean, like when you, your clients, is it, you know, it, 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 so it's kind of a ceremony, you, you move it from one to another. And, and yeah. I, I, I've always, I've always wondered, how do you, you know, how do you keep the level of intensity? I know you, you've, you and I have had discussions and my memory is not so good. How, how do you keep that level of intensity? 
level of intensity in terms of being um, intentional and present throughout the year or? Yes. Yes. Or yeah. even okay, just yeah. today. You know what I mean? You know me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just look at today. Uh, so I think you keep the level of intensity by taking really, really good care of yourself. You know, in the IEP method, intentional energetic presence, some of the core pieces there are around taking time out. It's around your self-care physically and environmentally. It's around your self-care with your relationships. And I think that one of the common mistakes we make is we think that to keep up a high level of intensity, we've got to, you know, pedal to the metal and just push through it. And it's actually where I see most entrepreneurs fall down. So as you're building in your intentions for this next year, build in places where you're going to have what I call active disengagement, you know, or conscious disengagement, where you allow yourself to take those 10-minute breaks. Um, you know, I know with, with all the people that we work with, we have converted every meeting from 60 minutes into 50 minutes just so they have a 10-minute break in between each thing so they can kind of reboot their presence, get something to drink, take really good care of themselves. And, and as simple as that sounds, um, you know, it's not rocket science. The rocket science is in actually in the discipline and the action of building little pieces in throughout your day to maintain your intensity. Hey, Anise, I want to make sure that I yeah. give our guests a chance to know where to find you uh, because we're, we are running out of time, unfortunately. I feel horrible about it. Um, <laughs> but I want to make sure they get the spelling correctly. It's uh, You can find Anise on Twitter at Anise Cavanaugh. That's A-N-E-S-E-C-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H. And you can also use that same spelling to find her on the web at AniseCavanaugh.com. Um, and maybe we'll have you on the show next week because we are having another show and we're having two other guests and maybe we'll start off with you and we can continue the discussion <laughs> about the intentional energetic presence. Uh, and I apologize, Brent and I are not in focus for and timeliness, and Jeff. We gotta get that too. <laughs> no, you guys, you know what? It's always, it's always fun to chat with you. It's all good. I'm glad that we got to say hello and, uh, it's, it's good. We'll talk when we talk. So happy new year. Happy Take care. Happy new year. Thank you for coming on the second stage. And thank you all for tuning in the second stage. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.